I'm Dan Kihanya, and uh, organization is interesting. So I'm the creator and founder of Founders Unfound, which is a podcast focused on uh, tech founders from underrepresented backgrounds. Uh, for my day job, I'm an investor as an, as an angel and an uh, advisor and mentor for startups. Um, and then I also am co-founder of my fourth startup, which is Wisely, a fintech uh, focused on financial wellness for Gen Z. This, this, is, this is Diversified Game. A podcast giving entrepreneurial advice from a diverse and inclusive perspective with Kellen. He may agree, he may oppose, and it's more than just race, it's about, you know, ideas. So, let the game begin. It's Kellen, and on Diversified Game, we have a treat, so get your pen, your paper, whatever you're typing, utensil, whether it's a tablet. I was going to say typewriter, and then I straight dated myself because I actually had to practice on those. I have Dan Cohn of Founders Unfound. He has a podcast. He's a serial entrepreneur. His podcast, you know, is highlighting those who you might not see on The Breakfast Club, you might not see on Oprah yet, but they're just, you know, maybe one or two steps away. I'm thanking him already for coming on because he, as a serial entrepreneur, where you might have seen one business, maybe two, he's seen a slew. So Dan, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm, I'm incredibly good. Thank you so much for having me, Kellen. Well, thank you for, for coming on. And, um, you know, I always like to check out other podcasts that are set up and, I, and I'm loving your mic, whatnot. I mean, that's a serious <laughs> microphone. <laughs> Makes me sound a lot better than I actually am. <laughs> that's what I say, too. And so do my editors. And I thank you, Elvis Rich and Taylor. Let me ask you, how did you get here? Because now with social media, People might see the five posts you have on Instagram, but you're very, you know, have many posts on LinkedIn and see everything you have going on and think, oh, of course, he went to, you know, it looks like a prep school in Boston. Oh, he went to Princeton. Oh, it was easy. It was all laid out. But I know that's not the case. So how do we get here? Yeah, that, that definitely makes it sound a little bit different than my actual experience. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I did grow up in Boston and I went to a public school. It's a fancy sounding school, but it's a public school. It's actually the oldest public school in the in the country. Um, and so I was fortunate enough to sort of get in there. You had to take a test to to get in. So um, and I, I was a kid who lived in a, you know, kind of a working class neighborhood in Boston. Uh, my parents met in Boston and uh, my dad's from Kenya. So my name, Kihanya, anybody with that name is related to me somehow, somewhere. Um, and and uh, my mom's from the U.S. And yeah. And, uh, and, and for those of you who don't know a lot about Boston, uh, there is some uh, some interesting aspects of reality around, um, uh, let's just say how divided it has been over the years if you ever see the movie the departed they have this opening scene about busing and everything that's when i grew up there so it was it was contentious for sure um but yeah i was i was fortunate enough to get into a good school and and uh they were gracious enough to give me some good scholarships otherwise there's no way i would have been able to go there and um i was really 
glad that I had the opportunity. Um, and I was glad actually to leave my hometown. I, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but when you grow up, your whole world is where you grow up. I mean, unless you're sort of an army brat or somebody who travels around and lives in different places, when you grow up in the same place, you think this is the way the world is. And it's so good to get away, in my opinion, it's good to get away from that. Even if you go somewhere else and say, oh, this is different and I don't like this. I want to go back to where I'm from. At least you have a sense of it. Um, and so, yeah, so I was, I was glad to do that. And I was good in math and sciences. And so I took engineering. And uh, in college, I got my butt kicked because I hadn't learned how to work hard. And there was pretty much everybody at my school was either off the charts smart or they just ground so hard. And so I was neither. <laughs> so I had to figure out how to how to how to learn some some discipline and some some uh, uh, some skills around, uh, you know, do it, do the academic thing. Uh, but I really learned how to think and reason, I think, a lot. And uh, yeah, and so I'm, I'm not sure how deep you want me to go or how long you want me to go into the whole background, but I uh, ended up coming out of there and uh, I took advantage of my engineering degree and went to work in the automotive business in Detroit um, for Ford Motor Company. And uh, it was a great place to start my career. I got exposed to lots of different aspects of both the technical side and the business side. Um, but it was uh, it was pretty clear after a couple of years, in my mind at least, that big companies were not the best environment for me. Uh, and so I began to explore what would I do otherwise. And so entrepreneur entrepreneurship sounded like something that was a way to kind of sidestep the corporate world, um, not really knowing what that meant. I just like thought, oh yeah, you work for yourself, and you don't have to do any politics or anything, and um, and so ended up uh, going to, to business school in Silicon Valley in the mid 90s. Wow. And, you know, let's, we're going to go into the investor side of you. But I want people to, you know, Boston. I, I, my wife and I got married in Springfield, Mass. And so I know right. Boston well. My fav- one of my favorite restaurants in this country, Legal Seafood, is in Boston. Yeah. And, you know, so I get it. And the divide is real. Personally, um, I was black Irish and uh, Sicilian in certain neighborhoods when they would pull me in, uh, <laughs> you, know, you know, yeah, he, he got a 10, what not, but it's, it's that divided where it's like pick a side. And I was Puerto Rican on the North side of uh, Springfield. Papi, ven aquí. Hey, yeah. So, you know, um, and, and so as a black man from California, going to Massachusetts, one of my favorite states too, because I saw the divide, so I saw how to try to bridge that inside my own small circles. You are in Washington. We never met in Washington, but I always like to say Seattle is like Boston and San Francisco mixed together. It's like a interesting just mix. Um, In Seattle, you have the same type of divide, except it's more of a liberal Hey, everything is fair on the surface, but of course, you know, black businesses are only getting 1%. Oh, sorry. I was 1.2% of the (laughs) government contract and most procurement offices. Do do you see the same issues like in Boston that happened in Seattle? Is one better than the other for the entrepreneur that says, 
I need to get this business off the ground. I need to find money. I need to find opportunities. What side of the country do I need to be on? Great question. I actually, um, a little context. So I actually moved back to Boston. So after I left for college, I didn't live there for, for, I don't know, 12, 15 years. And then I went back um, when my kids were born thinking I'm going to take advantage of this free babysitting from my parents and uncles and aunts. Um, and so I went back and it was very interesting to come back as somebody who had gone other places, lived other places. Um, and also as an entrepreneur from at that point from Silicon Valley, what it would be like. And, um, it was, it was more challenging than I thought. I think there's a great tech heritage there from, you know, MIT and, you know, all these companies that came out of the post-war, you know, Polaroid and Raytheon and all these tech companies. Um, but it's not as, in my opinion, it's not as fluid necessary as the West Coast uh, in terms of people wanting to meet other people and connecting. Um, so I think, I think it also comes down to if you want to start a business, you want to be around A, talent, B, investors, and C, um, whatever the context is for your business. So if you're, if you're selling a platform to uh, advertisers or the financial services world, you got to be in New York, right? <laughs> that's just that there's no way around it. Those are those, those two industries. That's their epicenter, right? For instance, right? Um, if you're doing some, some kind of straight up kind of classic tech stuff, the Bay Area can be good, but Atlanta and Miami are, are hopping. I think Seattle is really awesome for um, uh, cloud and enterprise. Um, and so you got two big giants here, Amazon and in Microsoft. Um, and so in terms of talent, in terms of partnership, there's opportunities. Um, but I don't think there's a one size fits all. Um, but uh, the one thing I will say is you cannot um, overestimate the need for talent. Uh, in a startup, it is everything. And uh, there's two things I say, at least in the tech startup world, there's two things you're always doing as a founder. You're always raising money and you're always hiring. And even if you're not actively doing those things, you've got your radar out. You've got, you know, you're at a conference, you're at a meetup, you're at the coffee shop, you overhear somebody and you're like, man, that person sounds awesome. When we have the funding or when we're at the stage, I'm going to come back and, and, and talk to them about coming onto our company or I'm going to give them my business card and say, uh, if people still have business cards, you know, and say, uh, Hey, follow us, uh, you know, follow our social channels, watch what we're doing. We'd love to talk with you and keep in touch. Um, and so um, in, in certain places, it's easier, I would say, to have a candidate pool. Now, if you want to talk about a diverse candidate pool, that's a different story. So we can get into that, too. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting how you talk about Seattle and as being kind of San Francisco and Boston mixed. That's an interesting perspective. I hadn't thought about it that way. Um, there's definitely a, um, a strong tech community here. Um, I think the, uh, for people of color, I think it's still a little hard to navigate. And so you, you really have to sort of work a little harder to, to plug in uh, versus places like Atlanta. 
um, where, you know, it's like, I won't say they roll the red carpet out when you get off the plane, but it's, it's pretty, it's pretty easy to get connected. I, I think um, when you're there. So, and I, I don't know about Miami, you know, uh, you and John Q have, and um, uh, Evan Leapart and a few other people that I know that are down there uh, rave about it and say it's real. So I'm, I'm excited to have an opportunity to come down there and check it out. Definitely come come out here. I mean, South Florida, it's, you know, it, it's a good mix. In South Florida, one day I'm Cuban, the next day I'm Jamaican, the next day I'm Haitian. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's all about, you know, how, um, how many languages do you speak or can you pretend to speak? So, you know, and, and I like to kind of blend in. In South Africa, I'm black and I'm colored. So, yeah. um, you know, and, and so it's just one of those things. Now, you were talking about conferences and I always try to tell people to me for my career and my client conferences make the difference. What are some of your top three favorite conferences to go to? Um, so yeah, we're, we're in a post COVID world. So it's been, it's been a while um, since I've been in person. Um, I think South by Southwest is pretty, is a pretty hopping um, thing. I mean, Austin's off the chain a lot of the time, you know, there's lots to do around that. I think from a traditional sense, um, the, the CES show, um, which is beginning in January. Yeah. That's always good in Vegas. Um, you know, those are, those are big ones. And then I think, you know, everybody has their own industry. Right. Um, and I like to go, I, I like to, I like to spend time walking the floor, like, uh, kind of quietly or passively, uh, just to absorb what's going on. But I end up pl- spending a lot more time uh, trying to set up meetings. And so I remember one year I went to CES. I never made it into the conference. I literally had meetings in hotels uh, and, and offices around Las Vegas. <laughs> I never made it into the actual show. Um, but, you know, I, I think one of the great thing about conferences, whether they're the big ones like those, or they're more industry specific is especially as a founder, you got to get out of your own mind, get out of your own office, get out of your own, um, you know, kind of rhythm to see what's going on with the industry, what's going on with the rest of the world. And it, it, it does two things for you. One is it gives you perspective, right? It's like, you're just talking to your own customers and your own employees all day. Sometimes you can get a little tunnel vision. And the second thing is, and this is almost as important. You you you're gonna go out and you're talk to people what you're doing, and you're gonna validate what you're doing. So a lot of times we're our own worst critics, we're our own hardest judge, right? And like we're not moving fast enough, we're not getting enough customers, we're not building enough revenue, the product doesn't work as great, whatever it is, right? Because we're always trying to grow and get better, and that's kind of the mode we're in. But it's it's nice and refreshing to go to a conference and you start talking about things, and people's eyes are like wow, you're doing that? Wow, you made that much progress. And so, you know, as entrepreneurs, we need validation because um, we get knocked down, you know, 20 times a day, right? It's, it's just, it's tough, right? And so, um, so I like, I like to get out of the, get out of the office, uh, so to speak, virtually or in real time. And, um, and some of those bigger conferences, they have parties, they have um, kind of after hours things. Um, I think it's just a great a great way to 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 build your network and to kind of get a different energy 
than the rhythm of like every day just cranking on the business. So, um, you know, you know, in terms of an attendance thing, I think it's well worth it. Um, in terms of being like a like a you know exhibitor or those kinds of things, that's a case by case basis. Um, I'm cheap, so somebody <laughs> says, "Yeah, it's seven thousand dollars for you to be in this spot," which is like over near the bathroom and it's you know, way away from the main floor. And um, it's like, uh, I, that's tough. That's tough. Right. So, but you know, it's a case by case basis. Some people use conferences as a, as a main kind of sales prospecting channel, right? Like they can walk away from a couple of days with a hundred leads and follow up with them. Um, but for some other folks, it may be just sort of, from an awareness point of view, I think there's more efficient ways to do that. Well, I, I totally agree with you. South by Southwest, when we lived in Lubbock, I stumbled across that conference and actually saved a life. You had to give someone a, just on the ground, laid out. Um, wow. Mouth to mouth. And, um, and th- you know, thankfully it was, um, it was a woman, a light woman. So I think I could have carried her if need be, but the police and ambulance came. But um, yeah, just sitting down. I love that conference though for the musicians, the energy, and now the tech, you know, has come because the tech folks want to be where the party's at as well. And yeah. it used to be quiet, and it's only, and now it's exploded. And CES, uh, shout out to Synology, who I worked with while living in Washington State, and got to spend an exuberant amount of money to the point <laughs> it was like, hey, President, can we get a limo for the journalists? We've already spent half a million dollars, Kellen. Why not? <laughs> you know, so, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Now, let me ask you, because I read Peter Diamantis' book, Future is Faster Than You Think, and I was like, wait, he has a conference, Abundance 360. I want to go. I'm starting to make my calls. Have you been to Abundance 360 and spent the $15,000 ticket to get in there? I know you said you were cheap, but just want to know. Maybe someone, you know, gifted it to you one day. I, I have not been to that to that particular conference. Um, and, you know, yeah, you start entering some of these upper echelon Davos and the original TED conferences and some of that stuff. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a small time bit player compared to the folks that go to those things. Um, but if you can find a way to get invited and have somebody pay for it, um, you know, hop on it. Right. Um, you know, the, 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 uh, the learning you do by osmosis, just being around some of those folks, not that they're, you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time on it, just like you and me, but, um, they, they get to think they have the luxury or the privilege of being able to think about the future and big things and not the day to day. And so that gives them opportunities to develop insights and perspectives um, that sometimes we don't get a chance to because we're grinding all the time. So, um, so yeah, so I, I haven't really, uh, but I can tell you, uh, I had somebody on my podcast and um, they were, they were new to tech and they were like trying to figure out how to maneuver things. And uh, the co-founder just called up and said, you know, who she was and she's an African-American woman and she's trying to learn things. She got a free ticket to, to CES. Um, So uh, I think that's one of the other elements that uh, is changing, you know, obviously in the, in the more recent years is that there is a little bit more of an openness and, and then sometimes seeking of, um, you know, founders of color and, and people who can represent diversity uh, 
sometimes it's a little performative and it's sort of like just trying to check a box. But other times it can be like, yeah, we get it. We we are missing voices that we need to have. And so we got and we got to go find them. Right. They shouldn't have to come running to us. So now being having a Kenyan background, how much flack do you get in Mambo, Jumbo to all the Kenyans out there? Uhaligani, how <laughs> much flack do you get for having a website that white and green, which could be, you know, like a Nijah, you know, all the, you know, <laughs> the Euro bus, and, and not having more of a, you, you see my, I don't know if you can see my bracelet, but I, I do, my, I do, I do. I can you love on, but, um, you know, I, I want you to talk about uh, Founders Unfound as well as your Kenyan background and how you've been able to, you know, connect to Kenya and possibly you've been to, you know, Mombasa or Nairobi. Sure. Sure. Yeah. So I, I deliberately chose green and white because I, I thought it was representative. Um, you know, my, my palette is definitely green, white, black and red. Right. And so um, if you look at some of my Instagram posts, I use a red background. Red's tough because it's, you know, if it's not in context, it can be a little overwhelming. But, um, I you know, I'm I'm cool with it. And, uh, you know, I was born in the United States, so I like to joke with my dad. Um, you know, he'll be ranting about some politic thing in Kenya and, and I don't I don't feel it because I didn't grow up there. It's like this group is doing this and that group is doing that. I mean, I understand it, obviously, but it's like I don't have that visceral like that's my brother, too. I, that's OK with me. And uh, and so um, but Kenya is an amazing place. I have been uh, I have lots of family there. And, uh, you know, my dad grew up. Uh, he he went through all of the Mau Mau revolution and the, uh, you know, sort of the the movement to bring Kenya to independence from Brit from the British colonial rule. Um, so my, my grandfather spent three years in a concentration camp and uh, my dad had to change his age. Uh, make, you know, he basically one day when he was in his like 60s, he said, hey, everybody, I'm older than you think because they changed my, my age to be younger, because if I was 18 at the time that I was going to turn 18, they would have thrown me in a concentration camp, too. So, mm. you know, there's lots of stuff like that, um, you know, that's kind of part of the heritage. You know, it, it made me really appreciate the freedoms we have in the United States. And, and I, I vote I voted in every single election. I don't care if it's dog catcher uh, since I was 18, because you know, uh, my, my family had, didn't have that opportunity. Um, but today I think it's a really fascinating country. Um, it's beautiful. People are amazing. People are beautiful. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's in, it doesn't necessarily have the hustler mentality. You, you find out in Nigeria, um, you know, sort of that grittiness. Um, but, uh, there's lots of entrepreneurs and tech going on there too. Um, and, I think, you know, when you start thinking about opportunities in emerging places, the continent itself, I think, is is poised. You know, um, it's got so many people. I mean, I think like, a, I don't know, something like 60 percent of the continent is under the age of like 26 or something like that. Yeah. So all these people who are merging with technology that's been put in their hands. Right. There's the, the the ability to use phones and 
and uh, and the infrastructure that's building up, you're going to see amazing folks doing things. And you know, last year we saw the acquisition of of Paystack, um, you know, which was a uh, you know a, a very large acquisition uh, by Stripe, um, and so uh, and they're in Nigeria. But I think that kind of sent these shockwaves through the tech community and the investor community, like. Oh, look over there. There's stuff going on over there that's 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 legit. And so I'm super excited. And I've had a couple people on the show um, from different places. Uh, and I haven't had a Kenyan yet, which is something I'm working on. I have like four in the queue. Um, so I'm excited about that for sure. Uh, but but there's so much, so much potential there. And uh, you know, the timing is great because I think. Like I said, the technology infrastructure is available, right? You know, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you couldn't say that, right? And, and so that was a disadvantage um, to, you know, people wanting to start businesses and do innovation. But that that's all there now. And, um, you know, not completely, but it's it's there for opportunities um, for people to do startups and, and build amazing companies. I say it's there. The reason I don't take this off my wrist, I've even uh, uh, tried my hand at investing in Kenya as I've done in Ghana and Nigeria. And, um, you know, I'm actually currently in a lawsuit because it made mm. money, but um, we have to kind of teach this young entrepreneur you can't take money, make money, and not share the money. But my editor, again, Elvis, is from Kenya. He's the best editor in the game, um, you know, king of all YouTubers and has various clients. So I love Kenya. Um, you know, it's more organized than most of West Africa. I'll say that. And there's just a, there's a, a vibe. And I love all of Africa. I don't have a bad time, but um, Kenya is very special, especially Mombasa. Oh my gosh. It's, yeah. It's just... <laughs> Mombasa is beautiful. Mombasa is, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Uh, yeah, I've spent time there. And my actually, one of my cousins has got a real estate business and he's been building uh, uh, properties around there for uh, basically people from the diaspora who leave Kenya and come to the United States or, you know, and they want a sort of vacation getaway place in, back in Kenya. And so he, his business has been booming for years for that. So oh, we're definitely going to talk about that then off air. Because that's something that even my clients, we took 30 people prior to COVID to Kenya. They all loved it. We had two and a half, almost three trips sold out to go back to Africa. And so I'm, we are talking the same language. <laughs> um, you know, even though it's not um, pure Swahili, we're, we're just doing it in <laughs> our, our native tongue. But I, I love it. Now, when you started... Founders Unfound, I mean, the name kind of says it all, but I want entrepreneurs who are out there, like the ones I'm going to tell about you, to say, hey, fill out his sheet, because I've interviewed many Kenyans um, who are doing business, and I want them to be connected with you. But, you know, how, why did you start this? How did you start it? Then people want to say, and how much money are you making? It's a question I always get, and I'm like, how much money I'm making, I never tell. First of all, um, you know, and I don't even know what money is because I'm yeah. a crypto fan. 
So, you know, it's, it's all in the cloud and all over here, but um, I don't own any crypto, I tell people. I'm just a fan of it. Um, but, yeah, why did you start Founders Unfound and, and what is it all about? Yeah, thanks. Um, so just just to loop back on your, your lawsuit, I, this is an issue that has um, of kind of uh, uh, market maturity. And I actually think things like uh, smart contracts with cryptocurrencies and 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 uh, blockchain are really going to address some of those things. So that's not going to be an issue in the future. Um, and so it's very clear, like what happens and things get automatically distributed. So I'm, I'm hopeful for that, um, uh, you know, for that element to enter into things for sure. Um, but back to Founders Unfound, you know, a, a couple of years ago, and this is before COVID, before George Floyd, um, you know, post uh, the Trump election, I guess, I just started looking around, you know, I'm, I'm a four-time founder and uh, I've had some success, uh, but I look around and I see there aren't, there aren't that many people that look like me at the end of the day. And, you know, when you, when you hear that refrain of there isn't anybody in the pipeline, there isn't deal flow. And, you know, you do a, like a 20 minute Google search and it basically refutes that, right? It's like, what's going on here? And so, um, you know, I, I do some angel investing. I'm not, I'm not a professional angel investor. I don't do 30 deals a, a year like some of these folks. I'm an operator at heart. Um, so I like to roll up my sleeves and focus on one thing or, or just spend my time giving people my thoughts and counsel. Um, so I was like, how can I help? And so I thought, well, if awareness is part of the problem, let's, let's see if we can dig into that. Right. And, and one of the big things that I like to talk about is the fact that black entrepreneurs, um, and I hope to spread beyond uh, black entrepreneurs to other groups as well. Um, we have superpowers and I won't say necessarily myself, but, you know, the founders I talk to because the resilience and the grit and the what um, the folks at Kapoor Capital call the distance travel. Right is is monumental in some cases i mean i've had people on my show who are homeless who uh, lost family members who you know had lots of stories of people basically telling them you'll never go anywhere um setbacks financially setbacks with health and yet they show up to start these companies and we know starting a company there's there's pretty much zero easy about it right mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so to have the courage and fortitude and resilience to keep going and to and to be successful is um our stories worth telling and when they're and when they're doing their startups and they have to pitch an investor they don't have a, you know 45 minutes like they do with me to tell that story to say you know i i uh you know, uh, we had somebody on the show a couple of weeks ago. He and his brother came home from school one day and they're like young uh, middle school kids. Dad had taken everything, left. The, the house is empty. Right. Mm. And it's like, okay, now what are we going to do? Right. And then and he tells his story of his entrepreneurial instincts kicked in and he has a great story about that. Right. But if he's pitching, he's a fintech company, if he's pitching that to an investor, He'll tell a little bit about, you know, here's my background, my probably his professional background, 
probably, you know, kind of what, where the idea came from or what the problem that he saw to solve. He doesn't, he doesn't have the chance to say, here's why I'm going to be a great entrepreneur. Cause I, you know, I didn't start, I didn't start this journey on third base. Right. I didn't start this journey with like, oh, you know, I graduated from Harvard or Stanford and I worked for a couple of years and got bored and I have a bunch of friends and family. They'll give me a couple hundred grand for me to go and see if I can build this business. And I'm trivializing it and 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 kind of being a little um, uh, you know, superficial. But um, and, and so that's really what what drives me. The entrepreneur guest is my North Star. I'm trying to build an audience. I certainly probably don't have an, even an audience as, as big and profound as yours. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about the entrepreneur and, and having them tell their stories. And, you know, I've done 40 plus episodes at this point. I've, I've never, ever been disappointed. And in fact, it's always the opposite. I think, yeah, this business doesn't sound all that exciting. And this person, I don't really know that much about them, but we'll see. And they just blow me away. And they always just blow me away. Just, you know, r- random things like, you know, somebody graduates from high school when they're 16 and aces their SATs. <laughs> and right it's like what wait wait back up what did you just say <laughs> right and that and that person's doing like a you know a different kind of business you know they thought they're gonna be an engineer and so i i i love doing it i you know in terms of the financial aspects i i don't make any money in fact i put money into it um you know we we're trying to to build opportunities to have sponsors and i have some stuff i'll probably announce later in the year around that but uh, you know, when I do ads for uh, the podcast, I, I do them for free and it's with people who have affinity with the audience and the ecosystem um, and uh, as kind of a shout out to them and also to introduce a little break in the, in the, cause I do long form, um, you know, 50 minutes to an hour interviews. Um, and, and so it's, it's more of my way to give back. Now, can you make money at podcasting? There's certainly opportunities to do that. So I, I would never hold myself up as a as a benchmark or a playbook for how to how to be successful in that regard. But um, you know, for me, it's about the authentic storytelling uh, that the founders have an opportunity to. And um, I also I, I love asking questions that they don't get. Um, you know, because if they go on other startup podcast i'll get a lot of questions about business model and you know what's your lifetime value who's your what's your customer persona and we, and we delve somewhat into that but I, it's more about the stories and and uh and uh you know the the one the one of the, the the best compliments or the best um feedback i got was somebody somebody who was on the show i always follow up with them to see hey did did, did you like how it turned out did people reach out to you and uh, and she told me, uh, yeah, I, lo- I, I loved it. It was great. And my, my brother shared it with my mom. And my mom called me like right away and said, you know, there was things on that podcast that I didn't know. <laughs> so I was like, yes, <laughs> we uh, we crossed a different different uh, into a different set of uh, intimacy, I guess, uh, around what people are about. And, um, you know, particularly black women. I, I mean, if black women ran the world, man. We would uh, we'd have a lot less problems. They they are in particular, in my mind, just um, just amazing, amazing fortitude and and uh, and resilience. And and I think they have 
the, the great entrepreneurs that I've interviewed that have this ability to sort of like take all these things on that I think even for myself, I'd have struggle with and, and kind of do it with like great, great sort of optimism about, okay, we're just going to keep going. I, I love you being so open about that. And because it's the same reason why I do this, I've had radio shows where I've had to be there and I, you know, this is much more enjoyable where I can set up the time, work around the family time, you know, my work schedule and just hear the stories and that, but hearing the feedback of, wow, I never knew that, or I've never even knew someone like that existed. I mean, you know, from your story alone to the 13 year old millionaire that I had, Christian the Truth Jones, who, you know, is he, he, he could be a Kenyan or he could be a Cameroonian, whatnot. And people are like, he's teaching, he taught me how to make money. And for me, that is it because you, might not listen to me. My style might not be what you like. I didn't build a business. I built a lifestyle that fits my needs because I'm a weirdo and I'm okay being a weirdo. And you just have to be okay letting me be okay being a weirdo. So, <laughs> uh, so I, I love that. And you talked about your give back and how it's the podcast, but it's my signature question. So I got to ask it, you know, what is your community give back that you were doing? You kind of answer that. Or since the best is yet to come, one that you would like to do in the future? Yeah, that's a good question. And it's a good challenge. And I think you should ask everybody that. I like that. Um, yeah, so the podcast is one way to do that. I, I've, I've, uh, I participate in a ton of mentorship programs. And mentorship gets a bad name sometimes because I think some people take advantage of it in, in that they serve their own purposes by, do, by doing it. I, I try not to do that. Um, I've, I've had mentor sessions. I, I think I counted the other day. I went through and tried to figure it out at least 500 mentor sessions in the last few, few years. I'm actively involved in programs like Techstars, And, uh, you know, we have some local programs here in Seattle. I try to get involved with folks like black VC and HBCU VC, um, to try and do my best to be, um, you know, I, I'm not the know-it-all I'm, I'm humble enough to know, that there's more that I don't know than what I know, but I have seen a lot of stuff. And so that's what I bring to the table for a lot of the folks I talk with. It's like, you know, I, I, I was fortunate enough to go through pretty much everything you can go through in a startup, except for being sued. And so, you know, I can say, yes, when we went through a situation like this at that, at this company, this is how we did it. I probably wouldn't do that that way again, or, that seemed to work out okay, but you know, that's just one data point. Um, and so I, I try to give back that way. Like I said, I do invest occasionally. Um, but you know, I'm, I am, I am all about, it doesn't exist today. Can I help figure out how to make it and, ha and have it sustained? I mean, one of the connecting dots for all my businesses that I was involved with in startups in the past, as a, as a founder or early team members, they all exist still. They all have, you know, sustainability and they weren't just sort of flash in the, the pan kind of taking advantage of some, you know, trend. Um, and so, and, and the influence I had on the product and the experience, you know, evolves as it should, but it's still kind of that core fundamentals there. So I would love to see the opportunity um, for myself to be much more influential in creating new ways 
to fund the start of the startup experience. If you're running the marathon, if you know a startup is a marathon, you know there isn't enough resources for that first quarter mile. And so a lot of people don't get on the starting line or a lot of people drop out right away after the first you know, couple hundred yards because it's tough, right? And, and you have lots of people saying, why should you do this? You know, what is it that you're doing? Why should the world care? So I, I, I tend to focus my attentions, my resources, my, um, my priorities in helping people at that very, very early, early um, stage. So even if you're just thinking about starting a company, I love to talk with people about, you know, here's a way to reverse engineer. You want to be um, starting your own company in six years and you just got out of college. Um, you know, he, here's what you do at the company that you're at, right? Like you, you got a tech job. Okay. Don't take, you know, do well with the tech stuff, learn a lot there, but don't take the next sexy tech product job at the company go work in the accounting department and do the tech for them because then you'll learn the business side of things you know um and that's going to be much more valuable so i i like to be um like i said top of the funnel big at the beginning of the journey and so the more that i can help people the more that i can be you know whatever influence i may have the more i can be influential in getting other people's to to focus on that that's that's kind of what i what I would uh, love to be doing more of in the future, um, for sure. So is that how somebody gets, you know, their first degree from Princeton and mechanical engineering, then they switch it over to an MBA in marketing and management? Because you're like, well, I got this science part out. Let me go, you know, figure out the, the other stuff. Is that how that works? I wish I could say that I was that that strategic about it here's the reality like i said I, I was pretty good at math and science and stuff and i could do the engineering but when i got to when i got to the corporate world two things occurred to me one is the really really great engineers at the company they saw the world like neo from the matrix like they just see this stuff that i, I just like like i said i could do the math but i i don't see what they're seeing and so i was like I don't know if I'm going to succeed if I can't be like that. And secondly, I was always interested in the, you know, I had, I had design responsibilities for certain parts in the car and stuff. And I would do that work, but I was like, wow, can we save money on this? How can we take weight on, on this? Like, can we, can we do a a new vendor search for this? Is that, I was, I was naturally going to the bigger picture business side of things. And so, um, and again, married with this, this, uh, you know, itch to see, to see if entrepreneurship made sense. Uh, those things converged and like, well, maybe business is the, is the place to go. Um, so, so I, I guess it's my own ability to look back and have hindsight to say that you can be strategic and deliberate about that. And I, and I like that journey. I'm, I, I'm so glad that I was an engineer uh, from the perspective is it taught me how to problem solve, how to frame a problem you know, I was telling somebody earlier today on a call, it's like, I need the initial boundary conditions is a fancy term we use in mechanical engineering. It's like, which is basically what's going on. Like, how fast is the wind blowing? What's the temperature? Like, where do we start from? And then move into where we want to find the answer. And so the 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 reasoning and the sort of approach, I'm, I'm glad I, I had that. Um, 
it's not for everybody. I mean, there's other ways to do that. Uh, we had somebody on the show, I uh, just interviewed him. His show won't be on for another month, but he was a rhetoric major in college. And it's like, what is rhetoric? And he's like, I am the master of persuasion, Dan. It's like, you know, I, I can, I can uh, take apart anybody's discussion and I can and make them think that what I think is the thing that they should think. And so, um, so, so I think it's all part of our backgrounds and, and unless you're sort of like doing something very vocational or, you know, wrote like law or medicine or fixing air conditioning units or whatever, to me, college, especially undergrad, is about meeting people that are different than you, learning things that you've never been exposed to before, and learning how to think. Like, you know, I, I don't know, in high school, I just, I kind of went through the motions. You know, I, again, I was okay at it, good enough to to get into college, but I didn't really learn to think until I got to college. It's like, how do I reason things through and analyze and that kind of stuff? So wow, yeah, no, I love it. I love it. Let let, let me hit you with a question, and I'm going to say names because it's a company and it's big, and you know, <laughs> I really at this point am just venting about some of the errors that I saw in uh, Washington, and I could pick almost any place, but you know, companies like Zillow. Um, I represent influencers, millions of followers. And you tell these companies, why don't you use influencer marketing, you know, and now more and more people are at least listening, but Zillow will go hire somebody because they're known in the city. Um, my experience, I'm sitting invited to a lunch and I'm talking to someone who is, you know, talking about reaching the black community and has a business in Seattle, but We'll spend, have Zillow spend $100,000 on a ski trip to get better black talent. I said, that's how we get better black talent instead of, so me and another woman, um, I won't say her name because she may or may not like that, um, say, well, what about the HBCUs? I went to HBCU. My wife went to HBCU. This woman went to what we call a Hispanic HBCU um, in New Mexico. And he didn't even know anything about HBCUs. He didn't even know that El Paso, you know, had a Hispanic HBCU. So you get people and, you know, Zillow would say, well, we got somebody who was of color to do it. Right. And, you right. know, in, in all fairness, I think his dad was black, his mom was Korean or something like that, older gentleman. And it was like, he was totally clueless and didn't even want to hear it. So when you say, hey, why don't you come do an interview with Black Media? You get the you get the Seattle freeze. You can't get anybody outside of having dim sum. And that type of <laughs> passiveness is what's killing tech and diversity. Cities like Seattle, I'm putting you out there because the rest of Washington, you know, it's in the fields and it's a lot of uh, Trump. Trumpisms going on um, when you leave, you know, our Linwood or Everett. But what do you see? Like, how do we get companies to get it? Just because you hire somebody who's of color doesn't mean just like same way we have politicians. The whole, you know, Black Congress, the CBC, it's a joke. A lot of times they handle what the masses want to handle. Asians can get a bill. Black people, you guys are having problems. There's racism still? Wait, let's do a study. And we got to wait five, 10 years for that. 
what can we do? What have you seen that works that actually gets people's attention besides uh, someone having someone's knee on someone else's neck and them dying for there to be like, oh, okay, we need to get this person out and put this person in and try something new because we don't have a clue. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> that's a big question. And uh, I, I won't begin to profess understanding big companies because uh, I haven't really been a part of them for a long time. I, I've sold to them and partnered with them, but to, to feel like I have an intimate knowledge of their priorities and their approaches, I won't say that. Uh, but I will say, I think yeah, you're absolutely right. I think there's there's kind of different things, right? So first is what's the intention? Is it legitimate? Is it authentic? Is it um, is it resourced? Right? <laughs> like you said, is it just sort of like uh, um, lip service, right? And and what is? And I think it takes courage. Unfortunately, not unfortunately not from a that it shouldn't take courage. It's unfortunate that it's not more instinctive with people, but it seems to take courage to say, I don't know what I don't know. And I got to be open to all voices, all messages um, uh, beyond my sphere of comfort. Right. And different companies, different people who have responsibilities for these things, the companies, just like human, all human beings, there's a wide spectrum of people who will dive in and say, I'm going to make mistakes. And as long as people can acknowledge that I'm trying to be authentic and, 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 um, and sincere about what I'm trying to do, I'll do that. And other people are like, you know, I'll take one step, I'll stop and wait and see if anybody's looking and did I, did I take the wrong way? And is it, am I going to get blasted? And I'll take another step or maybe I'll take a step back and just wait. Right. I think companies are going through that right now. Um, and you're right. I mean, people don't have a good sense of, um, here's the, here's the example that I give my kids. Right. And so you appreciate this, even though you're in Miami now you're in Seattle, right? Seattle doesn't get much snow. If you live here in Seattle. Right. So, but if you drive 60 minutes, 65 minutes maybe uh east you start to bump into where the mountains are and there's snow and um there's skiing and that kind of thing if i buy a car in seattle um there's a lot of things i'll be thinking about um snow tires won't be one of them right <laughs> but uh if i if i'm out in that 65 minutes away and I, that's where i live then it's one of the first questions I'm going to ask about my car, either when I buy it or afterward. It's like, I need snow tires. And so I think there's an awareness bias, right? Where people just don't know. And when you explain that to them, it's like, if you explain to somebody in Seattle why somebody needs snow tires, they'll get it, right? But they won't necessarily go there themselves. And so the, the, the challenge I think we have also is that Getting them to see that also is a burden that we have to bear, right? It's one of these rare situations where, um, you know, they, they should be looking our way and they know they should be looking our way, but they wait till we do this, right? <laughs> they wait till we're raising our hands and like, hey, look over here. And then it's like, why am I having to do that all the time, right? Why does Founders and Found need to exist, Right. Uh, you know, again, I love the storytelling part. So hopefully that stands on its own. But its mission 
I would I would love for it to be I'd love to for it to be obsolete, right? I I I purposely named it Founders Unfound because I felt like you know I'm always about the underdog. There's always somebody underrepresented, right? And so if we reach that joyous promised land where I don't have to be a black founder, I can just be a founder because there's so many of us. There'll be another group that I can support, right? So, but you know, when it comes well, when it comes to being you know having black diversity. We got a long way to go, and I think corporations need need to just have sort of institutional courage, and then put people in place who, you know, the litmus test for them to have those jobs and that leadership is that they're willing to humbly ask, "I don't know what I don't know," and I I am sincere about wanting to to make an impact here not just lip service, not just signaling, not just checking a box that they hired somebody. And you're right. That's the other thing is that um, particularly for the African-American community, there's no one size fits all, right? We all come from different places, different perspectives, and and that can stretch socioeconomic and cultural. Like I get people on the show who are multi-generational African-Americans. I get people on the show who are first-generation immigrant. Um, either they were born in uh, you know, somewhere else, Caribbean or uh, somewhere in the continent, or their parents were. And they have different experiences from, from people who, you know, whose families have been here for a long time, right? And, uh, and, and we're unique, I think, in that a lot of other cultures, they can still connect that dots, right? If I was, if I was Jewish and I was born in America, if I was Jewish and I was born in Israel, I got that connection that I can go to. There's a set of, you know, norms and cultural things that I can sort of tee in on. And whereas, you know, if I'm, if I'm from the U.S., you know, how do I connect to where my roots are, right? And, you know, my cousin, my cousin came to live here and, uh, when she was an adult from Kenya and she's like, I didn't know I was black until I came to the United States. <laughs> that wasn't a thing <laughs> growing yeah. up. Yeah. We had white people and black people, but like that wasn't a thing. Right. That's like I, when I came to the United States, it was right in my face from day one, you're black. Right. And so I think we have a lot of work to do. I, I don't have any big, if I had the big, the big answer, I definitely would be, you know, on that train um, but I think I also think that it's about discussions and conversations at at an individual level. I think that you know so many people don't have friends from other other perspectives, you know, political, cultural, ethnic, right? And and if you aren't around folks to appreciate, like, what does it mean at a personal level when somebody says Black Lives Matter? Not just some, you know, political evaluation of that is it good is it bad is it you know whatever but like what does it mean to somebody like that you know right that that you like you said like your kids go to school together or you work together or you know you play pickup hoops in the in the in the in the in the park with or whatever it is right um and so those conversations don't happen enough in my opinion and and those ones in particular i find pretty hard in seattle um, and I don't know how to solve that. I, I, you know, I try to, I try to maneuver as much as I can around different groups and 
people and um but it's still pretty hard yeah i found it because of some of the groups and even a men's group that i'm part of dads which to me is the most multicultural group now you know folks who don't believe or read in the scriptures i mean you don't even have to but people come sometimes that say i'll I'll let them read their bible their scripture in the bible but i come for the the man side because it's where men can talk about men issues with a, you know, even if you're not a believer, there's a moral compass, hopefully, that you have, and you can talk to other men. And so uh, Marvin Charles, I enjoyed that group, but I also enjoy the scriptures because I've been to Ethiopia, and I've talked to the priest there, and I have an Ethiopian Bible, which I can say, 66 books, there was more. (laughs) Why did they not give it to you? Um, The same reason why in the slave days, they didn't give the slaves the full Bible, but that's for you to decide how deep you want to go. So I, I love that. And I, any companies that are listening or CEOs, executives, this isn't go grab the blackest person with the dashiki on <laughs> that, that, that's possible. That's not the point, because that person, too, may not know about business and may not know how to do anything outside of, you know, blacker than black. I'm black, y'all, taken from a CB4 line. Yeah. <laughs> <finding> somebody. <laughs> I you love know. that. <laughs> you remember it has a great I do, I do. I br- I break that movie out every once in a while. I love it. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's because it's really more than a color. Because once you know someone like yourself, Dan, they could say, you know what, you have enough money to be happy and be content, and you don't have to worry about all that black stuff. But it wasn't about you. It's about the founders unfound, and that's what I want people to take away that you're doing something that's bigger than you, trying to solve a problem. Um, Maybe we won't see it in our lifetime, but unless aliens come down and then we'll all come together and say, at least we're human. But, you know, we've seen the movies. They're going to wipe us out if they come back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, going through COVID, I didn't see us rallying. I, I was disappointed in our society and how we still tribalized and 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 went into our own like what's in it for me but um but you're right i mean you're absolutely right and you know i i just try to be a stone thrown in the pond that makes ripples you know that's i love that analogy because it's like i'm gonna sink to the bottom and i'm never gonna see where those ripples go but i know that if i if i put out enough out there then um hopefully it'll do some good and uh you know i'm not I'm not Jeff Bezos or anything. Uh, so it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed and, and I have gratitude for the things that have been good in my life. But I tell people, my mom wrote a book and, and she interviewed me at the end of the book. And I was like, you know, as successful as you can be growing up the way I did, somebody drops an N-word on me. I'm still that scared little 13-year-old kid. Like, why do I got to be different? Right. And that doesn't happen too often, fortunately. <laughs> but um, but we're still in that society. We're still in a place where there's um, there's vulnerability that really we shouldn't have to keep, continue to have. And a country that's this old, that has matured in the last 50 years, supposedly through civil rights um, to still be there is, is kind of tough. So the, 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 the job's never done. And um you know, I'm I am I am the product of lots of people investing in me, either directly and specifically and personally, or in the organizations that I was a part of, in the in the schools that I was able to go to. And so 
it's incumbent upon all of us to give back and to pay it forward and to um and to use the gifts that you get um for the greater good and so that's that's what i try to tell my kids and and i got to live that life myself so um so i'm i'm excited about the future i'm i'm an ever an optimist and um i want to be uh positive and and as an entrepreneur you got to believe that things can be different you know cuz you have to use your imagination as a, as a founder cuz it doesn't exist today and if you're thinking like well we got to solve this problem a different way you got to be able to imagine that it's solved in a way that's that's different than now so i have that inside of me and so for society and and for us as people i um i got to believe that my grandkids um you know are going to have a have a way of life that um isn't necessarily easier cuz I, I you know i th- i think challenge is good but you know the the stuff that shouldn't be a challenge the thing that you can't control which is how much melanin you have in your skin and mm-hmm. you know where your family comes from you know those things shouldn't be barriers for you anybody at all well you guys have got the game if you do nothing else share this game it may change somebody's life for the good Dan, i thank you for coming on and we'll take this conversation offline yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I appreciate what you're doing. This is a, this is a great program and uh, keep going, keep doing it. And uh, um, thank you for, um, for being a, a powerful voice. Hi, everyone. Have you ever been curious about visiting Africa? Which African country were you interested in? Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda, South Africa, Ethiopia? Which country are you interested in? My good friend, Kellen Cash Coleman, came up with a course called My First Trip to Africa that'll guide you through this process. It's only $20, and in this course, you'll learn about passports, visas, vaccinations that you need before you go there, as well as a budget, uh, how much the trip is gonna cost. He also talks about what you should pack, uh, what you should take with you, how you should travel on a budget. Did you know that 100 US dollars is worth a 1,000 South African Rand and over 10,000 Kenyan shillings? So imagine what you can do with $100 back home. I say back home because I'm from Sudan, I'm African. I already know how it's like. I know that, you know, when you convert Canadian and American money, it goes a long way when you're traveling across Africa. So if you're curious, um, if Africa is a place that you've always wanted to go, always wanted to move there, Kellen Cash is the person to ask. Check out the course. There's a little preview you can listen to. Um, before you actually purchase it. If you're interested in this course, visit www.diversifiedgame.com. Don't miss out. Thanks for getting in the game and listening to the Diversified Game Podcast with Kellen, the number one show pairing entrepreneurship with diverse and inclusive perspectives like wine and cheese, bagel and locks, fish and grits. Be sure to visit DiversifiedGame.com for all the good stuff. Join in the conversation and discover more content.